Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. John Berry is the founder and CEO of Pathfinder Asset Management, an investment fund and manager of CareSaver, an ethical Kiwi saver plan launched last year. July last year, yes. And there we go. Pathfinder believes that doing good pays better bucks. That is, investors who consider the environmental, social and governance impact of their investments can improve returns not just for the planet, but also for themselves. So does it? It'll be our question, John, or at least one of them. And what makes a banker like John become such an ethical campaigner? And then the key question, why is he more popular with women than men? <laughs> so... <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, John, on this climate business. Is it true? Um, firstly, thanks for having me, um, Vincent. But what is what true? That uh, are you more popular with women than men? Well, if I if I look at our, um, I don't know about me personally, but if I look at ethical investing generally, um, there's plenty of research saying women care more about environmental and social issues than men, than men do, and we certainly see that in our um, membership of our KiwiSaver as well. Um, the number of people adopting the ethical message definitely have a female bias. Really? But like a massive or, or marginal bias? Um, well, it depends if you call 65% to 35% massive or I marginal. I That's significant. That yeah, That's that significant. is significant. And is that unusual by international standards? No, look, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. It's um, The message is differently received. And I think with guys, um, you know, guys care about environmental and social issues and care about the welfare of our communities and families, but at the same time um, can't get over the idea that if you invest ethically and with your values, you may not get the same returns. And I think the women have overcome that and are saying actually it's the right thing to do and they can understand why it will generate better returns. Um, I'm still trying to get men across the line with that one. Have women traditionally been part of the investment industry? Uh, I suspect not in a, in a management sense but what about as investors? Yeah look it's a male dominated industry I think is fair and probably slowly improving um, you know, we look at industry events in the past, mm-hmm. totally male-dominated, slowly improving. Um, and, and, you know, we encourage more diversity of thought. We encourage, you know, which is not just male-female, it's also age and, and um, life experiences. And, yeah, it's a yeah. whole bunch of things. And yeah. better decisions are made when you have a more um, diverse decision-making process. Um, so I think we need to bring women on board, and particularly if they care more about social and environmental issues, you know, whether we're talking about leadership in companies or hmm. people managing funds, we need a, um, a, a perspective from people that, that care about these issues. So I suppose the $64,000, why would it have to be thousands? It could be the million dollar question would be, do funds that have an ethical component to them, and I'll get you to explain ESG in a minute, um, but do they perform at a lower, I suppose, financial return than non-ethical funds? No, look, it's a great question, great question. and. I'm a fund manager, I'm a capitalist, I'm here to make money for my investors, Um, I want to get the best returns I possibly can, I just want to do it ethically and in line with with my value set and my investors' value set. 
I, I would not be doing this if I thought the returns were going to be lower, because particularly in the KiwiSaver space, and we manage funds both inside and outside KiwiSaver, but in the KiwiSaver space, it, it will be one of the largest assets most people have, and a significant asset for their retirement. Um, they need to go for the best returns possible. Will it be from ethical investing? I would say absolutely yes. And look, it, it makes sense intuitively, and it really comes down to, you know, we can, we can dissect what being ethical actually means, but there are plenty of good reasons why companies that behave in an ethical way will be more resilient, more productive, more mm. innovative, mm. and which means over time they will manage risk better and they will make more money for their investors and their shareholders. You responded to a critic, Robert Armstrong, in the Herald maybe a year ago, I think, was about he was uh, perhaps from the Financial Times, I can't yes. remember the publication, yep. but his argument was... Um, Look, the job of ethics is not the job of business. And isn't it a familiar argument, right, that governments and other institutions should worry about the ethics of investments, of business, of you know, prescribing the limits of what's... And that's what the law is about, right? So it's legal for people to smoke. It's legal for people to make weapons. It's not your job as, an, as a fund manager to restrict... Your job is to maximise return for in shareholders. I mean, I'm already shooting myself in the head for this argument, but I'm going to make it anyway. Um, your job is to return, uh, fi- make financial return for investors. So why would you prescribe limits on what you could invest in and that must happen at, at investors' cost? Well, first, firstly, it doesn't happen at investors' costs. Our returns are actually, um, our conservative balance and growth funds are in the top three for KiwiSaver. Each of them is in the top three of their categories. So it, it's working as planned. But look, to answer your question, um, I suppose there's, with ethical investing, there's two approaches. One is I want to make as much money as possible, and the other is I want to do the right thing. So doing the right thing is about enhancing the planet for our families now and future generations. Mm. Um, we'll put that to one side. Let's talk about making as much money as possible. You know, the role of companies historically has been looked at as um, shareholder primacy, which is a company is there to make as much money as possible for its shareholders. Um, should not care about anyone else. Should not take account of any social values, and maximises profits, pays dividends to shareholders, and then if shareholders want to give it to charity, that is their um, that's their choice. And so the company is there just to maximise profits. The world's moved on from that. The world is is now saying, actually, this is more than just about shareholders. This is about communities and suppliers and staff and the planet itself. Mm. Um, so we need to we need to think more broadly. But it makes sense from a financial perspective because if you think of a company that looks after its staff, a company that looks after its staff has a more engaged workforce, a more productive workforce, fewer sick days, lower staff turnover. So if they invest in their staff and train them and give them great working conditions, they, they will get more financially out of their staff. It makes a more productive company. It means the share price goes up. Mm. So you know, my argument is ethical companies, whether it's about the way they interact with society and their staff and their suppliers or um, with the environment, they will do better. 
you know, Nike in the 1990s, when it was found that they were using children in their supply chain, Nike almost collapsed. It was almost a, um, you know, the end of the line for Nike. Yes. Yeah. BP with Deepwater Horizon, they didn't spend $500,000 on a shutoff valve for the for the well. They ended It ended up costing them $65 billion. If you don't manage risk in relation to social and environmental issues, it will hit you financially. Johnson & Johnson, they're in that position in the US at the moment with um, talcum powder. They are not selling it on the shelves in the US anymore. They are being swamped with a wave of lawsuits. They know the connection between talcum powder and cervical cancer. Again, you know, it's product governance. They shouldn't have been selling that product when they knew there was a connection. Mm. Now there's a financial cost for that through lawsuits. So ESG, or, and we should we should say what ESG stands for. I'll let you do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So ethical investing, first first of all, ethical investing is quite a broad term and means different things to different people. Mm. And, you know, going back to your, your first question on why should a fund manager care about ethics? Well, I would say there are 35 or more KiwiSaver providers. Everyone should have a KiwiSaver that matches the returns they want and the value set they want. Yeah. So fund managers can have a value set. They just need to be really transparent on what it is. Mm. And then within ethics, there are two approaches to investing ethically. The first is exclusions which is the main focus of KiwiSaver in New Zealand so this is I don't want to invest in cluster munitions and tobacco and fossil fuels whatever it may be but it's avoiding things for me you're not going to change the world just by avoiding things you're not going to change corporate behaviour to the extent we need to change it just by exclusions and leaving it that the important thing is what do you do with that cash right let's go we'll come back to that but um Talk about those exclusions. What typically are the things excluded in an ESG fund, an environmental, sustainable and governance okay, filter, so, if you like? Yeah, so for me, ESG, which um, the E is environmental, the S is social and the G is governance. Oh, so social, ESG, not sustainable, yep. yep. Um, environmental, social and governance is actually not about exclusions. So exclusions is what most people in KiwiSaver or most investors are focused on. Uh-huh. ESG is actually... I'm going to invest in companies. I'm going to measure them not just on financial metrics. I can look at their balance sheet and profit and loss. I can do that as well as anyone can. But I'm also going to measure them on their environmental, their social and their governance metrics. Uh And then I'm going to select companies on that basis. I want companies that are ethical as well as financially sound. And so it's a positive screen. It's actually helping me choose the, what I would see is the best, yes. the best companies in their category, and we're talking uh, quite loose definition, aren't we? Is there a, an agreed international definition of what ESG or ethical, social, and governance actually means? Um, short answer: No. Um, and and even you know the terms used, you know, responsible investing is widely used in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, words like sustainable investing and green investing and conscious investing and ethical yeah. investing. There's so many different terms, and then environmental, social, and governance (ESG) is again another. Would you say they're interchangeable? Um, to me, they have slightly different meanings. And responsible investing, which is the most widely used term in New Zealand, to me means. I want to be a responsible investor for my um, the investors whose money I'm looking after. So, for example, with climate change, I will look how a company is going to be impacted in the future by climate change, and I will say I will or won't invest in it mm. based on what its transition plan is to a zero carbon future. Yeah. So, it's purely responsible investing is purely about maximising the returns for investors. Ethical investing is that trying to maximise returns for investors, but also in relation to climate change, is saying actually this is the biggest threat to our society. And the future for our 
children's children, we should be doing something about it. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a values, ethics is a values-based lens as well as trying to maximise um, financial returns. Okay. Um, and that so that definition is a, is a little bit loose. So it's kind of up to you then as a fund manager to make the offer to your investors, right? You're saying... So, so tell us about, for instance, some of the funds that you offer. What would be some of the proactive stances that you've taken? Some of the proactive stances. Okay, so yeah. um, for example, you know, a really easy example is fossil fuels. So the government has mandated in default KiwiSaver funds, um, you know, from the end of next year, they will not have fo- fossil fuel companies in them. And a lot of KiwiSavers exclude fossil fuels. We exclude fossil fuel companies, coal, gas and oil. In all of your funds? in all of our funds, Um, but we go further and we say, okay, actually, we're not going to invest in fossil fuels, but the future is renewable energy. The oil industry is growing at 1.5% per annum, sort of long-term trend. The renewables energy sector is growing at 7.5% per annum. Where do I want to have my money? So it's not just good for the planet being in solar and wind. It's also, from a financial perspective, um, it's a better place to be. So you know that's kind of an environmental lens at a high level. We're saying thematically we'd rather be in renewable energy than fossil fuels um, because of the environmental factor. And then we drill down to each company in terms of how is it relating to, relating to the environment on its its policies and procedures and practices? Is it a coincidence that there's an alignment between future returns? So this growth in renewables, for instance, is it, it's a good business to be in, just financially. It's, yes. Um, is it a coincidence that that is also aligned with a values position that renewables, largely speaking, are better for the planet, are better for communities. Well, that's actually what we're looking for. Um, You know, as an ethical investor, we're saying, I want to make money for my investors. I want to do what is sustainable for the planet. What is the intersection of those two things? It could be renewable energy. It could be investing in data. It could be forestry. It could be water. But it's trying to find that intersection of benefiting the planet as well as making the best returns we possibly can. Mm. What are the historic precedents for a shift towards ethical investing, you know, if I can use that term? You know, where did it start? And and maybe even, let's start internationally, where did it start? And then maybe we should talk about you, you know, where did it start for you? Um, so, look, historically, um, people can trace it back to religious based decisions from more than 100 years ago um, and, and not wanting to invest in perhaps gambling. More recently, in more recent years, um, the focus was um, anti-apartheid in South Africa and not wanting to invest in companies that had business mm-hmm. operations there. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, what does being ethical mean? It changes over time. Social values change yes. over time. Yeah. We launched our first ethical fund in 2010, which is a global water fund investing in companies around the world that are you know, transporting water, treating water, purifying, desalinating, all these cool things. Um, and part of the investment thesis was around climate change and that these companies are going to benefit as because they have the technology that can solve a lot of climate problems when wet parts are getting wetter and dry parts are getting drier on yeah. the globe. 2010, everyone said, you guys are insane. No one's going to invest in this. And that kind of hurt, but what hurt more was they were right. No one invested in it. <laughs> so we, ra- we, raised, we raised some money, but we didn't raise you know, nearly what we'd hoped for, uh-huh. and we were just too early. And, and the, you know, um, investors in New Zealand were not ready for that, for that story. We're 10 years, 10 years on, and climate change is you know, mainstream. Mm. People get it. People understand it. People see 
countries, Europe, China, setting targets for becoming net, um, you know, net carbon. Yeah. What happened to that fund? Did it ever launch? Oh, it, look, it absolutely the launched. Water fund. It launched, yeah. yeah what is, we, what's it called? Yeah. It's called the Global Water Fund, oh, the Pathfinder, Pathfinder yeah. Global Water Fund, funnily enough. Um, so we, when we launched it, we within the first three years, we raised $2 million, um, which is... That's way, not a failure? Well, it's a failure in the sense that... Um, you can't economically run a fund on $2 million. Uh-huh. So we were subsidising the costs of the fund um, ourselves. But the reality is we believed in the investment thesis and we believed in the story so much, we said, it's time will come. Let's just keep at it, keep persevering, and eventually the returns will bring people along. Last year, that fund won Alternatives Fund of the Year in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So it has been a good investment thesis. And it's also, um, it's a great story. People love talking about yeah. water now and water investing and climate of change. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer now that we're living in, <laughs> in the current conditions. Um, what's that fund up to at the moment in terms of assets? Um, it's above uh, above thirty million now. So it's, yeah. yeah, fantastic. And that there's a uh, just technically when does a fund reach a point? You know, what kind of threshold do you need for it to become a self-sustaining entity? It's past that point now, which is good news to report after ten years. Right, yeah. oh, but you're not going to tell us the number. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the fees? Something one point eight, well, or one point four, or something oh, like that. Way cheaper, way cheaper. But the, you know, typically, you know, if you want a number, it's typically I would want a fund to be more than ten million dollars to be, um, you know, yeah. sustainable and and know that it interested people to to attract more investment into it. What What was your journey to get to that point you know how did what gave you the confidence at that stage that that you could do it and it was worth doing what had been your yeah your your pathway uh excuse the pun to to reach that point how did i find the path yeah um so originally a lawyer then moved into investment banking and my business partner paul he and i um both spent a, a lot of our career offshore we'd seen um the trend offshore and i i think you know, so on, on the investing side, we were um, we were very keen on on launching funds in New Zealand. But I think as um, you know, through life, you can get either nudges or quite dramatic moments which change your thinking about things. And there are a few things that both nudged and dramatically changed my views on um, on our the urgency which with we need to act to. Um, what were they? Um, Okay, well, there's several. One of them, for example, was I read a study on um, the Kermitic Trench and the Mariana Trench, and this should be... The Kermitic Trench? Kermitic Trench, which is 10 kilometres underwater. Yeah, just slightly north of here. Um, Yep, near Guam, Mm -hmm. so slightly north of here. Um, Oh, sorry, Mariana Mariana Trench is near Guam. Near Guam. Kermitic Trench is just north. Stretches, I just learned today, stretches from White Island all the way to Tonga. Yep, it's big. Yep. It's big. It should be, so we're talking 10 kilometres underwater, right? It should be completely pristine. It should be untouched. It, it, you know, mankind cannot get anywhere near it. Um, well, there's sent probes down there, and the level of pollution or the level of man-made toxins down there is just astonishing. And that was several years ago I read mm. that study. Mm. That had such an impact on me that we had to do something. I suspect things have not improved. <laughs> no. Well, they've actually photographed plastic bags down there now, yeah. so it's got even Crikey. worse. Yeah. So that was a real um, stopping, you know, kind of show-stopping moment for you. And what did you do with that information? Um, a week after that, we changed our branding for our company. So we instantly said we need to do something and we actually, we're in a position we can do something with the way we invest and the way we um, focus on ethical investment. And, and 
investing ethically, it's not static. You know, it changes over sure. time. So, yeah. you know, straight after that as well, we hired um, an environmental scientist to work in our team. We're probably the first fund manager in New Zealand to do that when we're saying, who's making the decisions here? Are they just financial people looking at balance sheets and profit and loss mm. accounts? Mm. Or do we have the skills internally, internally to measure the carbon footprint and, um, and look at the social attributes of a company? So we've hired someone on our team who's not a financial analyst at all, but she can do that for us, which is a fantastic skill set to have internally. Yeah, that, that's putting your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain for me the journey, the, 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 perhaps the dollar journey from when I would put a dollar with you, how does it end up in the hands of the right people? <laughs> um, so if you, okay, so if you, for example, joined our KiwiSaver, um, so every day we have people joining, we have we have um, money coming money coming into us, we need to invest it. So we have a portfolio of companies and we're continually analysing those companies and adding to our holdings in those companies. So these are not, you're not investing in listed funds or funds of funds, you're investing directly into actual Correct. companies. Yep, which I think is really, really important because, which, which is quite unique in New Zealand, there's a few fund managers doing it but most, most are not buying the equities directly. Mm. We control what companies we go into, we know exactly what they are, we target two to three hundred and as well as that we will invest a little bit outside listed companies. Um, KiwiSaver is a long-term long-term strategy for most people Mm. and private equity delivers great returns. We're very careful when we invest outside of the listed markets but we have invested for example Rua Bioscience which listed on the stock exchange recently. We've been in that over a year ago. Um, Sharesies, you know know the platform, we're we're investors in um, Sharesies. We love those guys, they're fantastic. Um, Also you know, they're bringing um, financial accessibility to sure. everyone in New Zealand. They're also a fantastic business. So that would be the S and the ESG, with the Correct, absolutely, social, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also well, it. well governed, presumably, <laughs> yes. would be, which would be the G. Okay, so we we entrust a dollar with you. You make a decision about where that goes. Investing is a really dynamic business, right? So how are you? M- you know, auditing the behaviour of those companies. How can we trust you to make sure that, you know, last week they were good, but this week they might have been terrible? Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, so that's a question of getting good information and getting current information and having the resource and skills to analyse it. Right. So you can't just rely on last year's accounts and last year's um, annual report. Um, you know, by the time you get to read it, it's probably a lot of the information will have moved on anyway. Mm. Um, we use an international data provider for looking at sources of revenue. They will drill down. They will tell us if companies are doing animal testing. They will tell us, um, you know, if there's any weapons revenue for a company. Uh-huh. We get that every month. We're getting that data updated. And that's because the ecosystem around ethical investing is now so robust, right? There are auditing agencies. There are research analysts who are specialising in this. And that that's what has allowed this industry to kind of emerge? Correct, yeah. So globally, it, it is a big industry and the the movement um, is unstoppable towards ESG investing. Um, so this is not a new thing. This has been, you know, a number of years in the in the making, but it's it's now um, it's got so much momentum behind it. And you're right, there's um, large research businesses that provide detailed research, and and you know we get um, updates if there's an event that happens overnight that might impact our view on a company. Um, for example, Volkswagen, um, you know Volkswagen doing their emissions cheating. 
um, with the test, the diesel mm-hmm. gate, mm-hmm. we immediately de- divested Volkswagen when that happened. And to us, that's a signal. Um, firstly, it's, it's bad corporate behaviour that they, yes. they're cheating like that. But for us, that's a signal of a governance failure, of a cultural failure within an organisation. Mm. And typically when that happens, when you have a very high level of controversy like that, you won't just have one incident, you may have a series of incidents and it will impact the share price. And this is, um, just going back to your, one of your original points, is this is why ESG, or ethical behaviour, is a, is a kind of a proxy for well-managed businesses. Is it, that's kind of what yeah, you're saying, right? That's what we're saying. It's it's an indicator of a strong brand. It's an indicator of companies that will have more, more loyal clients. Uh, it's an indicator of companies that think about long-term planning and understand risk and, and um, understand how to manage risk. They become more resilient companies. And there's a lot of research that when markets fall, companies with high ESG attributes, high environmental, social and governance attributes, their share price falls by less. They are more resilient companies. Yes. There are studies around um, bankruptcies and how you can use ESG as probably the best indicator of future bankruptcies and how to avoid future bankruptcies. So this was your thesis 10 years ago and you took the plunge to change direction or get your company going in this direction. Are you still regarded as slightly mad? <laughs> by your peers? Um, look, I think... Um, at least for that reason. You know, there might be other reasons. But, yeah, yeah, there might be plenty of reasons. Just ask my kids. Um, I, look, I think ESG and responsible investing is um, is mainstream. It is, it is not controversial. It is not... You know, we used to have financial advisors say to us, I have one tree-hugging greenie client who would be interested in your product, but the rest of them won't. <laughs> you know, we're so far beyond that now. It's it's totally um, totally mainstream to, to, the, to the point where, you know, I have firms including competitors who ask me to come in and present on ESG so they can get a better understanding of it because it's so widely recognised now as an important part of decision making and we've got a whole generation coming through mm. who, for them, they totally get it. You know, mm. our... our uh, yeah, with if we look at the future and the decision makers of the future, environmental and social issues is so important and such an important dynamic to take into account. So the the change then is more of this. You know, what's the trajectory? Um, so you know, you've talked about exclusions, and then you've talked about sort of positive making positive choices for you know investing in renewables. Um, is there a sort of an arc that this is heading towards? Well, there's, there's no final end game in the sense that, um, you know, it's changing and improving and refining, and there's other tools as well, like engagement. You know, we can, if we're a shareholder in a company and they do something we don't like, we can engage with them and tell them to change their behaviour. We can vote this against the shareholder activism or yep. investor as- activism. Yep. It's, it's actually being a shareholder and living up to your responsibilities and telling companies what you think or voting in a way that en- encourages good or improved behaviour. So an example of that would have been the impact that shareholders had, I think was on Rio Tinto, that had recently destroyed an Aboriginal site nearly 60,000 years old and somewhere in Australia, I don't know where it was, I'm sorry, but it was the, it was really the result of the shareholders putting pressure on the management to get those resignations. Correct. No, that's absolutely right. That, there was huge pressure from large shareholders that forced change on a company that didn't really understand what it had done at the time, um, but that's the power that shareholders have. And the, you know, if we think about KiwiSaver in New Zealand, is a seventy billion dollar 
industry. That's yeah. a massive amount. Yeah, a, in a New Zealand context, that's that's a reasonable sum, right? But but how much of that is? Oh, sorry, you've gone a mid flow. But I was going to ask you know how how big is that in a global context? Not very. Uh, but still significant in a global context. You know, in New Zealand, you've got ACC, New Zealand Super, and KiwiSaver that are all around at or around that level. You know, that's a a pretty healthy size as a global investor. But if you think of KiwiSaver at that level. The, the opportunity we have as New Zealanders to tell companies in New Zealand what behaviour will accept or not accept, mm. I think is really powerful. And that's why I think ethical investing, um, we should be using it as, as a tool to, to create change in New Zealand. What, what sort of change would you like to see? I mean, there's, there's obviously you as a professional fund manager and you've got your products, but you know what, if, if you could have some pet projects. Are there things that really excite you about what could be done with some of that capital? Well, in terms in terms of change, what would get me excited is when I look at um, companies globally, whether it's Microsoft or Starbucks or Amazon, you know, the companies globally are setting really aspirational goals mm. on reducing waste to landfall by 50% by 2030 or becoming carbon neutral or th- these really aspirational goals with mm-hmm. a fixed deadline and then they're investing in a way that, to make that happen. You know, I'd like to see more New Zealand companies do that. Because, you know, there's one thing for you to, to kind of withdraw funds but then there's, there must be signals you could be making that kind of nudge companies in a in a bigger direction so is that just say those numbers again um by 20 well for example starbucks wants to reduce their um um waste to landfill by half um be carbon neutral you know there's a whole bunch of metrics that international companies are, are setting themselves aspirational goals and then trying to work towards it, and I think that's something we should be doing in New Zealand. Could you get more specific? Is this this could be a good opportunity for you to have a, a word with companies that might be listening to say, look, this is what I'm looking for as as an investor. Yeah, look, there's I won't name the company, but there's one company that um, we want to see their um, carbon footprint. And measure them against their global peers, and they, and they told us they're recording the information, but they won't disclose it, and which says a lot. But it, it's also be bold, you know, disclose the information and say at the moment you're struggling, but you're going to improve. Mm. Have you moved from a position of sort of asking permission for uh, from investors to to kind of champion? ethical investing have you now moved from that position of sort of you know hey we're going to give this a go to actually being i don't know a power broker are are you able to influence change by dictating the terms um that would be nice wouldn't it but you know mm. do you think that you've reached that point you know are you a black rock being able to kind of tell companies that you know you're looking at a stranded asset mate and your time's over I've never seen myself as a dictator, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I suppose what we're about is we're about telling investors what we stand for and what we want to do. Join us, come on board, you know, come for the ride, come for our journey. We'll mm. give you good returns and we'll try and affect some change. And yes, we need to get more active. All fund managers in New Zealand need to get more active um, with the message that they're giving to corporates. We want to be a part of that. The message that came out last week at the um, or the week before at the climate change conference was just this uh, an overwhelming sense of impatience for change. The, we know what the task is in transport and energy and agriculture. What's holding us back? Is it investors? Is it companies? Is it 
you know, what, why can't we move faster on some of these targets around emissions, around cleaning up pollution? Um, you know, you could choose anything, just choose transport. You know, we, we have the technology. What's stopping us, John, from getting there faster? Um, look, I, th- I think a sense of urgency is what's stopping us. And if, if you look at COVID-19 this year, it's been amazing how fast we can allocate resource, we can change behaviour, we can change the way people think because there is a crisis right in front of us right now and we need to deal with it. And the difficulty with a lot of environmental issues or um, climate you know, climate change, for example, is their multi-decade issues or their issues on another part of the globe that doesn't affect me directly. And it's that sense of, or it's that lack of urgency means we can delay a decision or it's an uncomfortable, awkward decision to have to make now, um, so let's not make it. Mm. But we know we can because we've seen with COVID-19 the change we can affect. Yeah, we can do it. And and there are many other global initiatives that have been successful. Um, traditionally, I was thinking, I was thinking actually at some point you might reference the slave trade, for instance, as the origins of ethical investing. You know, was such an incredible. Well, we're going to get you back on, I'm sure, to talk about some of this stuff. But um, um, John, how do how do people find you online, and if they want to invest in CareSaver or in one of your funds, where, where do they go? Oh, thank you, Vincent, for the opportunity to mention um, mention a bit of detail about us. So our KiwiSaver is called CareSaver, um, C-A-R-E, Saver, um, which stands for Climate, Animals, Renewables and Ethical. Oh, how about that? There it's an acronym. Um, so yeah. caresaver.co.nz. And outside of KiwiSaver, we have a business called Pathfinder, which is our water fund and our other investment funds, which is path, P-A-T-H, mm. .co.nz. Or you're free to email me at john at path.co.nz. Well, that's great having you on the show. I'd love to have you back and, um, you know, I look forward to hearing about how you and all of us are going to solve this problem together. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, Vincent. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer. That's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week. And no hurrah.